Well, welcome to our fourth and final Sunday of Advent. We've been preaching on the names of Jesus, and we've been going through these different names and what they tell us about Jesus and our relationship to him. And today we're going to be speaking about Jesus Emmanuel. So let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the season of Advent. Thank you for the season of Christmas, Lord. We're getting, excited. we're getting excited for the time when we get to celebrate. Even if we're only getting to celebrate this year with the people in our own households, Lord, we know that we're going to be getting together with your body from around the world to celebrate you, Lord. So help us to feel that unity even as we feel separated this year, Lord. Open your word to us today. Help us to encounter you. In your name, amen. Many Christians are fond of saying that Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. Now, personally, I think there's some dishonesty, or, or maybe that's too harsh. There's some, I don't know, it feels like playing semantics or special pleading or something to say that Christianity isn't a religion. But the relationship aspect of Christianity is really what sets it apart from all the other religions of the world. It's this idea of the promise of the presence of God, right? That God isn't just the watchmaker who wound up the universe and walked away. That God isn't just this force that we make sacrifice to and hope maybe deans to, to take a look at our way every once in a while. But that God would actually be with us, that we would walk out our lives in the presence of God and have an active relationship with him. And this really is the thing that we want in our lives. And this theme is all throughout the Bible. This idea that, that God would go before and behind us. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 12, it puts it so succinctly where it says that the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. When, when an army moves, or used to move in the olden days before we had tanks and planes and things, they had the main body of the army, but then they had what was called the vanguard, which would move in the front of the army. And they would be the first to encounter the enemy. They would be, they would be well, they'd be part of the scouts, but they would be the, the front line. And they would be protecting the rest of them as they move. But they also had a rear guard, that if enemies attempted to attack them from behind while they were marching, they had this group of ready soldiers at the rear of the army. And this idea is what God is referencing here. Remember in the Exodus story, when the presence of God took the form of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and it led the people through the wilderness where God was their vanguard. But also when they took on, when they went to cross the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh came and the, the cloud went from in front of them to behind them and set itself between the armies of Pharaoh and the people of Israel. God himself was their rear guard. And this idea continues in, in some very popular verses in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5. He says, God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in verse 9, he says, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And these are popular verses because these this is how we want to feel. This is how we want to experience life. 
that God will be with us wherever we go, that as God was with Moses. And Joshua needed to hear that. It comes up again in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, where the Lord says to Jeremiah, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. It's this reinforcement that the presence of God is the thing that you really need. And even these are the final words of Matthew's gospel, found in chapter 28, verse 20. The very last thing that that gospel says, Jesus says to his disciples, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We wish that we could speak to God as freely as we speak to one another. This, that God's presence would be so real to us. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And I don't know about you, that is, that is beautiful imagery. And I, I want that. Don't you want that? Like, isn't that the thing that we all dream for, that we can speak to God face-to-face as one speaks to a friend. But it is also our desire that we not go anywhere that God hasn't gone with us. In that same chapter, Exodus Exodus chapter 33, verse 3, this is right after the golden calf incident, where the people of Israel engaged in this great act of rebellion against God. And Moses was so angry that he threw down and broke the stone tablets that the commandments of God were written on. And Moses goes back to the Lord and God says, go up, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on my way, on the way. And Moses' response is wonderful. It's exactly what we said. He said, if you don't go with us, we're not leaving. We're not, we will only go where you are, Lord. And, and I feel like that's how we want to live our lives. That's how I want to live my life. I don't know about you, but this idea that if God isn't going somewhere, I don't want it. Someone in my life was recently really excited about a job opportunity. And, and they really felt like this was where God was leading them. And then it didn't pan out. And, and they really beautifully concluded that, you know what, if God isn't in this, then I don't want it. Even though this looks like the thing that I want, even though this looks like the next step in my career, even though this looks like the culmination of all of my dreams and training and everywhere that I want to go, if this isn't the thing that God has, I don't want it. And all of this to say the presence of God is the thing that we really want in our lives. And God's presence is always here, right? Because God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But we also know that, like, in these instances, we're not talking about the omnipresence of God, right? Sometimes God is especially present, like in these instances that we visited in the Old Testament. But then God's presence becomes something different. And in John verse one, or sorry, John chapter one verse fourteen, we read that the Word became flesh, and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is the wonder of Christmas, that God became one of us, the artisan inside the paint. 
Could this be it? Could this be what we've waited for all this time? We're reminded of the words of the angel from Luke 2, that this is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Since becoming a parent, the idea that the God who made everything would condescend to become a baby has become so much more real to me. And until you've had a baby, or it's so much harder to realize just how dependent a baby is on its parents or caregivers. And that the word of God, the creator and sustainer of all things, would become so dependent. Wow. The vulnerability is amazing, but so is the intimacy. Think about how you get to know a person when you live in the same house as them. I know basically everything there is to know about my kids, at least at this stage of their life. And some of us, like, say, newlyweds, know that this can be a struggle because suddenly there are no boundaries and no barriers and they only know the real you. You don't get to throw up any more walls. And if you're about to be newlyweds, like uh, Whitney, well, you'll soon find out. But imagine that the person that you're living with is God in the flesh. And while he's little, you get to have tickle fights with God. And when he gets a bit older, you tell God a joke, and he laughs, and he tells you one back. And a little while later, you sit around the table talking about life, and pain, and meaning, and hope with the one who knows the end from the beginning. I don't know about you, but I envy the disciples. I envy Mary and Joseph and the brothers of Jesus who got to interact with him physically. And yet, and yet, the Bible tells us that we shouldn't envy them. Paul speaks of a great mystery, hidden in the past, but now revealed as the culmination of God's great plan. And this is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27, where he writes, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its, the church's, servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. What could this be? To them, the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known, even among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. This is not a statement about divine spark or some pantheistic notion. Somehow, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, we are given the divine. And we call this the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that this is actually better than having a physical Jesus. And in John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
So the Spirit indwells us at all times, in all places, if we are in Christ. We have that special presence of God. We may not have a physical Jesus, but now, instead of the one Jesus that we have to share, each Christian has the Holy Spirit and can sit at the kitchen table telling God about our struggles and receiving back from him. Anywhere we go, God is there, not only through his general omnipresence, but specifically God is with you, you, through the indwelling of the Spirit. We don't have to walk through life hoping and praying that God will go before us, desperately grasping at the thought that maybe we have a vanguard and a rear guard. The wonder of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us all the time, that we aren't subject to arbitrary rules and structures, but that we have a living and breathing relationship with the divine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Christmas, God. Thank you for Advent. Thank you for this season where we look forward to your coming, both the second coming that we look forward to, Lord, but also when we remember the time when we looked forward to your first coming, Lord. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us, that you are the God who cares, that you are the God who sees, that you are the God who hears. We pray, Lord, that this special presence would be felt for us, Lord. We know that it's true, but God, we, we need it to be manifest in our lives and that the difference in our lives would be made by your presence, God, not by the doctrinal truths that we can speak forth or by the kind deeds that we do, Lord, but that the presence of God in our lives would be the difference. We pray all this in your name. Amen. We'll see you Christmas Eve. I'm looking forward to it.